it's time for the Total Sports Quinty Podcast with your hosts, Randy Ewens and Mike Bond. We're celebrating sports and athletes from the Quinty region and beyond. Get ready for the Total Sports Quinty Podcast. Okay, so after a, a brief, I wouldn't say summer break, I guess it's a spring break, uh, Randy, we're back for episode 47. How are you doing today, Randy? Good, good. I, I think it's a hockey playoff break is what it was, but, you know, the reality is that there's just not a lot of community sports going on right now, so it's been a little bit difficult to pull up some content. Um, we didn't want to rehash out a lot of stuff, but I've been working hard while we were down for the last couple of weeks to line up some some guests coming up. So we've got some a good lineup over the next little while. So we're we're kind of set up. But yeah, no, it's an exciting time of year. With uh, now that we've got golf back, thank you, Mister Ford. Um, and um, you know, hockey playoffs happening. Have you been watching your Oilers get their ass handed to them? Yes, I. Uh, that was painful to say the least. You know, even after two games down, I thought, well, you know they've been really tight games and the Oilers looked good and for good chunks of them. So be okay. They're up four, one in game three. I'm kind of like, okay, two, one, they can do this. And then the, you know, <laughs> the wheels fell off. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't good. And then even though it was a triple overtime game, I don't know. I just, any fan, I guess you, you go into that game just thinking, well, they're not going to win this. There's no way. So I, you know, I look at them and I try to be analytical and I can't, I have a hard time looking at that team and, and finding why they're not doing better. Like, I know they don't have the depth of some of the other teams, and, and Winnipeg's a very deep team, but at the same time, I just look at them structurally. Like, is it is it the way they're trying to play? Like, is it, like, I don't know. Like, it, you can't take the take the reins, you know, put reins on McDavid and Dreisaitl. I don't think you can do that to the, those guys, but you know, people have used the analogy of Steve Eisman was always in the top two or three scoring. And then he had to buckle down and become a two-way guy. And that's how, what took the Red Wings next level. I don't think that's the case here at all. Like I think McDavid's pretty good in his own end and dry settles as good as anyone in their own end. I think it's like a team defense thing. And does that hang on Tippett's head? I, I don't know. Well, I think, yeah, that, that, uh, oh, Mark Spector loves that. Oh, Connor McDavid needs his, Steve Eiserman moment doesn't mention that like Eiserman was 31 when Scotty Bowman came in and they had Fedorov and they had Lidstrom just coming yeah. up. Like it's a little yeah. different story here, but um, I, I mean, you look at the numbers and when McDavid and Drysaddle are both off the ice, they get caved in, in possession and goals for percentage. Like they, they outscore the opposition when they're on the ice, but it's just, they don't have the depth. Even if they could, uh, the, the bottom two lines could hold serve, so to speak, and not get outscored significantly, then uh, I think they'd be okay. And and now I'd love to talk to uh, Eric Crawford or someone and say, okay, what, how is he playing? Like, how is he coaching them? How are they playing? And why do they not just not have the players or is there something structurally there? I, I don't honestly, I don't have a sophisticated enough hockey mind to, to say that. Um, but I mean, you look at the Leafs, they're, you know, they're top, Matthews Marner, uh, I looked at that, like possession stats right up, not quite as strong as McDavid and Dreisaitl when they're on the ice together. 
Um, but when those two are off the ice for the Leafs, they still were dominating play. Their, their goals for per, uh, percentage was still above 50%. So even when they're not on the ice, the rest of the team's able to not get outscored or maybe still outscore the opposition. And I checked it too. It's the same with McKinnon and Ranton in Colorado. Even when those guys aren't on the ice, the team still outscores the opposition. So, I mean, it, again, I don't know structurally what it is, but it's definitely there's not the depth there. Yeah, and it's hard, you know, when you're watching a game um, on TV, it's hard to to catch. Like, I, I can figure out the D-zone coverage. I can figure out their forechecks and how they're changing their forechecks for the game. But I, the neutral zone, is it's hard to follow it when because you can't see everybody on the ice. So it's hard when you're not at the game to, to follow that. But yeah. um, I, I sometimes you wonder, it looks like Edmonton blows the zone a little bit early, but I want to get too technical. No one's going to hear about this rambling about that. <laughs> It's um. Anyways, it's 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 one of those teams. I just think are on the cusp, and I hope they don't do anything silly and blow it up. But and I I love Mike Smith, but you know maybe it's a goalie thing too at times. But anyways, I love him too, and he was great this year. But I mean, I don't. It'll be interesting to see if they bring him back and get rid of Koskinen, and then they have to bring in someone else for sure. Yeah, because you can't count on a forty-year-old to be your number one. No, no, unfortunately not. But uh, no, it's, uh, you know, speaking of goalies, Annabelle Phillips from Madoc, Ontario. Um, she plays for the Kingston PW, which is the girls' version of the OHL, I guess, best way to put it. Um, Troy Sweets, her coach, just committed to Yale. So wow. she'll be going, I don't think it's next year, it's year after, she'll be going to Yale. So um, yeah, pretty cool to get that opportunity to play hockey at an Ivy League school. Um, as we mentioned before on this telecast, on the broadcast, it's you know it's not a scholarship per se because Ivy Leagues don't offer scholarships, but um, they they do it based on a financial aid. But also, you get being an athlete helps you get in because it's not a pretty tough place to get in. I think Annabelle's got pretty impressive grades, anyways. But nonetheless, an opportunity to play hockey at a school of that caliber is uh, pretty exciting. So, yeah. and I'm hoping for a few uh, road trips. So Daryl Cramp is her grandfather. And I bumped into Daryl at Blackburn on the golf course the other day. I told him, looking forward to a few uh, road trips down because Yale is about 10 minutes from where my daughter's going to Quinnipiac. So. That's so, awesome. And Brad, I'm sure, is uh, quite pleased with good hockey families yeah. as Phillips is. Yeah, yeah. Brad played some hockey at St. FX. And uh, Carrie was a volleyball scholarship somewhere. I can't remember if it's West Virginia or someplace like that. I can't remember the exact place, but she did. And then she came up and did her. PhD up here in Canada, but um, works at Loyalist, obviously. But yeah, I'm happy for both of them. It's uh, pretty exciting to have your kid get a commitment like that. So she's a good, she's a good little goalie. She's a Bevel Bearcat product. Nice. So cool. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention today, before we get our guests, we've got Kim Brasser joining us from Future Girls Soccer Academy in Oakville, and got an interesting business platform and the fact that it's an all all female coaching staff coaching young ladies it's kind of an interesting platform we want to talk to her about um but i was my daughter zoe and my wife were out running at the track the other day and they were telling me that there was a big cricket game going on in the middle of mary sills marion marianne sills and the way they had it set up was they had the infield was the part of the infield if you're familiar with cricket it's kind of an oval field right and you have the the pitch down the middle so they're using the track as the pitch so they could bowl the ball. So while people are running around the track, they had to stop the cricket game. So they let the people buy, then they'd start the cricket game again. And <laughs> it was awesome. kind of like, yes. um, 
And I started thinking, you know, you look at the demographics are changing here at Belva. We've got more people of, of Indian descent and we've got lots of, of, of more multicultural. Why don't we have a cricket field? Um, you know, like we've got access, you can't really convert a baseball field. You can't really make it multi-purpose. But what I was thinking was like, um, maybe the, we've talked about the, the old, uh, I know they've got plans for the old fairgrounds and we've talked about putting a rink there, but maybe that's a place you could put a cricket field there or do you put a cricket field at the new fairgrounds so it needs to be a big round kind of like how what's the dimensions of it i really don't have any idea well uh i'd have to it's it's a little bigger than a baseball field um and like i said it's more round it's kind of like uh well if you look at an australian rules football field that's a cricket ground right you know it's kind of a round kind of thing so they they play australian rules in a cricket field most of the time um but yeah it's it's uh I don't know the exact dimension. I have to look it up. We could probably ask Siri. She'd know. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. So just keep talking. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, um, but no, it's, you have like a, a, a middle pitch that is where the bowling's done and you throw the balls at the wicket and the batters hit it and they hit it, you know, it's a circular field. So you can't really set it up at the old Alamite, you know, but you know, so you can't take over like, you know, repurpose an old baseball field really is my point. I don't think that would, the dimensions would actually work, but, um, but God, we've got, you know, lots of developments going on. It'd be great now. I think it'd be, I need to have a cricket field here. And I think it would be, you know, represent a progression in our community for sure. Wow. It's like, uh, I want to say minimum, this looks like the radius, a minimum 65 yards for men. Does that sound right? Like 150 yards. And Sounds about right. And like, and it's basically a circle. So that's, <laughs> I wonder if they have, they must have like a smaller version that you can play. Cause that's a huge field. Like that's massive. Well, they're usually pretty big. I got, I've only ever been to like one cricket game. My life was in Manchester, England. And, uh, it was kind of fun. Um, they have, you know, longer versions of the game. They have day trials and multi-day trials and single day games. So they have different ways, different formats of how they play. But um, I, 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 I think it's kind of a neat game actually, but um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think obviously it's just space, right? So we've, we've got some space around Bobble. Like why don't we set up a cricket field instead of having these poor guys playing in the middle of a Marianne sales pitch? You know? Oh yeah. It'd be kind of cool because like, I know nothing about the game, but to go try it out with some people that do, it'd be, it'd be fun. <laughs> you know, Yeah, you could see that. I want to use my ball glove though. Those balls look like it hurts. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> That's right. But uh, that was one thing I wanted to mention um, before we get our guests on. The other thing, uh, uh, nine golf open. So the former Bayview, Bayview nine hole golf course has been taken over. Um, Nick Enright and um, Brandon McLean. And there's one other partner who is failing me. Who I can't remember who it was, but anyways, the three of them have opened up uh, nine golf. They've rebranded it. It looks like they put kind of a funky twist on. They've got a, a neat little uh, patio bar going and they've got uh uh, they've made their driving range a little bit more friendly for, um, you know, maybe people to have some cocktails and hit a few balls for fun. Um, not exactly like top golf that you see in the States, but <laughs> yeah. I'm probably going for. 
And then I know that's, um, you know, Bay Quinney has stopped their junior program. So I think a lot of juniors have moved around and they're trying to attract uh, that junior program there potentially as well um, to do lessons. So yep. good on them. Hopefully we're trying to get them onto our podcast here and, and have them do a story as well in our magazine, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk to those guys. And then keeping with the golf theme, a little bit of sad note, Betty Ingram, long time, you know, noted sportswoman here in Belleville. Um, I think she won the club championships at Bay Quinney 30 times or something incredibly. Um, senior amateur women's champion back like 73 or something. Um, and she passed away this, this, this past week, uh, she's 97 years old. So condolences to her family and friends. And she was, you know, obviously part of the Belleville sports hall of fame and just, uh, an icon in the local golf scene. That's for sure. And see her out playing weekly at Bay Quinney and she still hit the ball pretty well. Kind of a funny swing. Like, you know, she had this, I don't know if you ever really saw her play. Oh, I sure <laughs> did. I caddied for uh, Betty back in the day. Yeah, yeah. She had a really unorthodox swing, but mm-hmm. it obviously made it work. Right. It was pretty cool. Absolutely. And she kind of, yeah, she lined up with her club. I always remember kind of, um, towed in kind of like it was it, it lined up weird the way she like went to stand and address the ball but obviously by the time the, the club came around it had straightened out and because yeah she could she's a great golfer and it was uh, yeah. she's a really neat person too I, I mean obviously I didn't know her well but uh, having worked at the Bay of Quinney I cleaned her clubs many times and carried her bag to her car for her several times and she was always very pleasant with me and and I got to caddy for her a couple of times uh, which was which was pretty cool and yeah just a really great person that's really sad but uh, again uh, at 97 I think you've you've done very well and she uh, she had a great life and like you say playing golf right up to the end that's uh that's pretty great. I remember going as a kid we go to the Blackhawk uh, Blackhawk pool remember the old Blackhawk mortar in oh jeez <laughs> <Man>. yeah. <laughs> And uh, they ended up putting a dance floor over top of that pool and called it Little Texas for a while. But, um, <laughs> but that um, that pool used to be where I went and did swimming lessons as a kid. And I used to see her swimming there. She used to do laps in the, in the mornings. Um, that's where I remembered her. And then when I went to Bay Quinn, I'm like, oh, I remember that lady. She used to swim miles at the Blackhawk pool. So, yeah. Anyways, funny. She, uh, yeah, she was a great sportswoman by the sounds of it from all the reports from her family in multiple sports. So, yeah. Condolences for sure. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I think the, the other, the other big thing was, you know, the OHL drafts coming up, uh, this weekend, we've got a bunch of local kids on the radar. Um, it's, uh, you know, obviously my little cousin Cal Ewens is, is on the radar there, but uh, uh, Minima is on that uh, kid we had on the on this on our podcast. Um, uh, there's a Dever kid and uh, a couple of the Schneider. So there's a few of them that are all on that list. Uh, quick, uh, what's the other one? There's a few of them, five or six of them that should go draft should get drafted anyways, but really weird year for these kids to go through it with, you know, basically not playing, having a couple little showcases, having some video being passed around parents out with their agents and their coaches trying to promote them with video, really weird season for them. Um, but what's really concerning, I've talked to a few friends that are scouts and obviously wouldn't, I wouldn't name them, but they're saying that it's really weird and it's going to be very convoluted because you've got agents out promoting these kids saying, you know, either 
they're promoting them higher than maybe they should go. And then they're holding other kids back, trying to do some inside deals and a lot of backdoor stuff happening, which really sounds nefarious to me. Um, it just, it just really degrades what you think of the Canadian hockey league. When you hear some of the stuff that's going on in particular with this draft and it just highlights some of the issues that we have in junior hockey right now. It's, it's kind of sad. I could see it getting a little bit cutthroat, right? Because, uh, well, I'm sure there's a lot of people are just not sure how to navigate the waters. There's always that case, but even more so this year. Like, how do you? Well, I'm sure for a lot of parents who aren't deep in the hockey world, they kind of just count on if their kid's good, them getting seen, right? They go to all the things. Yeah. But now, if they don't get, they can't be seen. I'm sure there's a ton of parents and and the kids too who are like, well, how do, how do I do this, right? And so then you can also see, yeah whether it be agents or just parents who are, who know people, it could be very difficult. They, they could get to the front of the line pretty easy, I guess. Well, you get agents saying, look, I'll, I'll keep this kid who's really good. I'll sort of bury him a little bit. I'll keep him from some of the other teams for you, but you got to take this other kid whose parents paid, you know, 10 grand to get him drafted, mm-hmm. you know, and gets a back. There's stuff like that going on. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's just, it degrades all the hard work that some of these kids go and there's going to be kids that aren't drafted because they aren't any of this backdoor dealing going on. And, um, at the end, you know, the benefits of it and for parents not to worry with is the fact that we're going to have a hack of a year of midget major hockey coming up, because I think that there's going to be an awful lot of kids that'll end up playing midget major. Um, and it's, they'll get seen and reshuffled and the deck will get shuffled and the cream will rise as people develop. It's just, um, you know, you're not going to get the recognition, unfortunately. Okay. Enough idle chit chat. Why don't we uh, bring in our guest, Randy? So we're joined with Kim Brasser from future girls soccer Academy. Kim, thanks for joining us for people, obviously listening. It's been very seamless how we got you into this call, but the reality is that it's taken three days and us screwing up over and over. So (laughs) patient with uh with us messing around so we 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 came to attention of of what you're doing up there and and it kind of resonated i i know having a couple of kids that played through the soccer and transitioned into hockey but um you know we in the quinty area a a lot of what you are doing is very interesting to a lot of folks here so i could you explain what um future girls soccer is and your background and how you got involved in, in starting that program uh so we started this program in 2015. Is that right? Yeah, bloody hell, I'm old. 2015. <laughs> Welcome to and, the club. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, we started it because we were coaching at a um, traditional community club, the one that everybody in. Uh, I'm from Oakville, so the one from that everybody played for in Oakville. And I was the head coach of an age group, a competitive age group. So rep soccer, what traditionally people know what it is. And uh, uh, my friend was coaching uh, the head coach of the age group down below. And we just didn't like the approach that was being taken with the girls program in general. Um, I mean, we're both girls, obviously. We both played girls soccer. And I have a daughter that was uh, athletic. So uh, coaching girls in any sport for that matter is different. So I just thought that we could do it better. Um, And I had a load of business experience because I worked at McDonald's for almost 20 years. So I said, well, let's start our own. 
And literally that's how it started. We started with one program um, with 35 girls in it. And uh, the week before, because parents register for everything late, the week before we only had five people in the program and we're like, oh my God, what have we done, right? Uh, but we started with one program and 35 kids and now we have over 650 girls that we serve uh, every year. Amazing. Like it's, it's yeah. interesting to say like for in the Quinty area here, we've got our, our local Belleville comments and Quinty West is very yep. fragmented. Um, but you know, for a, a girl that wants to excel and go to the next level to go to an OPDL, which is for anyone not listening, yes. is sort of a center of excellence that are set up. And the closest one to us is really, I think Kingston may have gotten a version of it, but really it's been either you go to Ottawa or you send kids to Whitby and um, that development platform. Yes, that's right really struggling so academy like yours to get started is people have been talking about something like that here but what were the biggest hurdles for you dealing with canadian soccer and all those kind of things to get up and running and or did you or did you even have any of those hurdles oh we had uh we had <laughs> an unbelievable amount of pushback from the clubs around us uh who did not want us to have any success at all we had pushback from the provincial soccer association we had pushback from our district soccer association because we were the first um a lot of people try to start soccer clubs like there's there's a boatload of them but we were the first to have not only all girls but we have all female coaches and that's what was making us unique right is uh it's it's hard to find female coaches in any sport uh so when you have your whole team has 100 percent of them um people uh, yes we to say we uh, the amount of pushback we had when we started was astonishing and it's what was astonishing about it it was from the very organizations who claimed to be in it for the good of the game and to push soccer as a sport well, if that's the case, then you should embrace the fact that we're, we're providing a platform for girls who might leave the game because they don't see role models. Well, now they've got role models. They might actually stay in the game longer, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I could give you a series of podcasts on what we went through. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. But you know what? But you know what? It, it was fine because a, we had a lot of supportive parents uh, because our head coach um, has been a coach for – three decades, used to be on the national team uh, and had coached so many people within the surrounding area of Oakville that uh, we had a really good head coach. We had parents who supported us and I had the business um, aspect of things. And so we, I, we just kept saying, we know we're doing right. We know we're doing right. And that's what kept us going. So yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a struggle, but you know what, now it's amazing. So could I ask, um, so, okay, I'm, so obviously it's future girls and you're based in Oakville, correct? And yeah, so yeah. maybe just for people in the Queenie area who aren't familiar with it, like what exactly is future girls? What's the program? What, what, what's it okay. all about? So, what, yeah. yeah. So we have, so we have, um, house league program. Okay. Uh, ma our major house league program, uh, in this, let's talk summer because that really is, uh, when soccer is the majority of it happens. Uh, so for the summer, we have a house league program that starts at the age of four and goes all the way up to 12 years old. And, uh, that has over 650 girls in it. And each team 
is coached by a female soccer coach and each one of my coaches is paid. So right there off the bat, it's a different experience because, and God love parent coaches. Don't get me wrong. I started as one, um, but you don't know what you're going to get. So as a parent, you register your child for a program. Well, if, if it's a volunteer coach, they're doing the best they can. Well, when I have a paid coach, they have to do the curriculum that we want, the expectations we want, stuff like that. So we have house leagues, we have individual skills development programs. So where it's just skills building. Uh, and then we have high performance programming. So for girls who play competitive, we have competitive teams and we have high performance competitive training, which is just a, a different uh, level of training. It's much more intense, right? Uh, so we do that. We do summer camps. Um, and we also offer private soccer training. So I think we cover, we check off all the boxes as far as programming goes. Uh, and our head coach um, has coached for so many decades. And because we're dealing really with the grassroots players, right? Like you're talking about beginners all the way up to 12 years old. So you're not talking about, I mean, for our competitive girls, it's completely different, right? We do talk about game formation and tactics and stuff like that. But you're talking like, development like you're talking teach them how to dribble teach them how to use both both feet teach them you know what i mean so we're in the grassroots stage of training and development and development and development and getting them to love the game and want to stay in it so it's part teaching and it's part cheerleading them on and teaching them that they can do it like giving them self-confidence that they can do it so we the, the curriculum allows for it that parents can see okay if uh, sally is on field a and uh, and sarah is on field d and they're both my kids they're getting the same quality programming and that you don't get in your because because the cult of personality comes along with coaches so we developed uh, the 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 curriculum uh and we every session is the uh, is given to the coaches and and the coaches make the sessions but we check them but it's just one of those things right it's like it should be no different honestly it should be no different than if you go and take ballet you don't start doing the um the the, the nutcracker you learn how to do the first position do you know what i mean soccer should be the same way it shouldn't it, it's got to be at the grassroots level a format of foundation of building foundation. So that's kind of how we went with it. Very interesting. I was curious on the website. Um, I noticed that uh, you, you make a point of welcoming multi-sport athletes and well, why oh, yeah. is that important Huge. to, to you? Oh my God. Uh, another series of 10 podcasts. So, um, <laughs> it, so, so there's, there's a couple of reasons why is because I believe fundamentally that girls should stay in sport as long as they can. And if you, because you have experience with OPDL, uh, right? Uh, they will start pushing girls to choose a sport. And um, in our experience, the best soccer players are the best athletes. Uh, the more athletic you are, the better you're going to be at a sport. And you only get athletic by doing more sports. And all, in all honesty, uh, when we used to coach, um, well, we still do, but when in the, in the other clubs we've been at, when we had a girl that would come onto the field and, you know, she was just naturally good, uh, naturally athletic, we would always say to them, what other sport do you play or do you have a brother? And nine times out of 10, they would say they either played hockey uh, or basketball or they had a brother who they were playing with naturally all the time 
because that's just the way it went. So when we when we take when we say to girls, you know, you can only uh, do one sport. Well, what if they get tired of that sport? Now they're out of it altogether. Now they don't experiment anymore. And we just find that honestly, the multi-sport girls are the best athletes. Uh, and actually, that's one of the very unique things of our competitive program. Even if you play another sport, we want you to come and play for us. Like we will make an exception for you because we know that game wise, they are the best athletes by far. They just got, they have better game awareness. They've got a better work ethic and they just understand the, the games in general. And, and I'm, that's a personal thing for me because my daughter played soccer and played hockey. Um, and uh, now she's, she's going to, to play D1 next year, but I never wanted her to stop. Never. Cause I think it's better for them. They're better Mr. athletes. For soccer or hockey to D1? Uh, hockey. Uh, hockey. Where's she going? She's going to RIT. Oh, good Rats. for her. Great, great yeah. program. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I've been a, a hockey parent. She used to play soccer as well. And then uh, actually she had to stop playing soccer when we started Future Girls because uh, there was so much pushback in the area. And actually she was a goalie. So I didn't want her playing OPDL because I didn't want her playing. Pay, I didn't want to pay the astronomical fees for her to play every second game because as a goalie, you're only going to play every second game. Right. So I was like, yeah, forget it. You're not doing OPDL. And it's too bad because she was good, but what are you going to do? These but, things you, know, happen. you said really an interesting thing, because it, it's a, a very similar experience to what I have with my daughter as well. And then my son to that extent, but my son was a little bit, a little easier to make that. He knew what he wanted to do. My daughter could have went either way. Um, and she yeah. played both. And I wanted her to keep playing soccer. And it just got to a point where she was forced to make that decision by the association. Yes. And, um, uh, yeah, by which association know, though, soccer or hockey? It was hockey, uh, soccer. Sorry, um, it was. Yeah, that, it, it's amazing. To, which is amazing to me because everybody would assume it's hockey, and it's always soccer that pushes them to make the choice. Always. Always, it has been. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's it's a weird. I think it's a mandate that comes from Canadian soccer down in some ways. You know, where they want to identify the best athletes and they want to push them through the the the, the high performance stream, but at the same time they want dedicated and, and they lose something by not having those athletes we've had some on, on our podcast here we've had some really good sports psychologists and sport physiotherapists talking about you know repetitive injury syndrome and the advantages of having you know playing multiple sports until you're 15 yeah. um that that seems to be the cutoff at 15 you make your decision and you can go but you know they're pressuring you at 12 to make that oh, decision and uh, it's it, very difficult yeah. i honestly i have i've heard come out of uh i i've heard We've had a lot of people come to us, a lot of hockey players especially, come to us and say, can she come play competitive for you? And I actually have my pricing. Most soccer clubs charge year-round. I charge a summer fee and a um, uh, uh, an indoor fee, a fall fee, because I don't want to have to charge parents for what they're going to miss. And the amount of great players we get in the summer, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's, to me, it's the right thing to do. If you if you are dedicated to sports and are in the business of sports, you shouldn't be cutting people off the knees because they want to do more sports. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter what sport it is. You should just want them to do sports. Period. Mine just know. happens to be soccer. Yeah. Mike, anything else? No, you know what? I think that's it's all very fascinating. It's a really interesting model. Um, I think, actually, I think it would be an interesting model that hockey. But I mean, I think the 
um, governing bodies of hockey would be probably uh, incredibly difficult to get this going, but I think it's a, a very interesting model. And again, it seems to be, to me, you're doing it for all the right reasons, right? You're, you want to get as many people, as many women, girls yeah. playing the sport and encourage them to do other sports. It's, it seems like a great model to me. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The one thing I want to ask you before we let you go is, you know, I I coached the boys and then I always jokingly say I went to the dark side, but it was one of the best (laughs) was coaching the group. You know, I, I coached my boys team. I had a really successful group of kids. Um, Like 10 of them ended up getting drafted to the OHL and I went to the girls. That's amazing. A bunch of girls and and they started out, they were kind of a ragtag bunch. We brought a bunch together and, and it ended up being one of the great experiences pulling that all together. And we've, we've had a very successful bunch of girls that have moved on, but I found for myself to become a better coach. And I talked to women coaches as well, which I find interesting because their experience is very different where maybe yeah. as a, I dance around sometimes yes. I'm not hard on them as I would have been with the boys. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Different, but the one thing that was I, I always find, and, I, and I'm always afraid. I wrote a, a blog in our magazine about this about how coaching them was different from the boys, where the boys sometimes you tell them what to do, you give them advice on a direction to make a decision, and they would either do it or not do it. And a lot of times, yes. they would just interesting for girls. If you told them, for example, I'll use hockey because that's what I was comfortable with, but if I told a girl to come around the net and I want them to look up the middle more, nine times out of ten, they're going to throw it up the middle, no matter if it's open or not. but if I told them to come around the net and here's your option, option one, option two, option three, option four, now you decide they would figure it out and they would do it. So it was a very yeah. literal the way they're, and I'm not talking elite girls that's above 16, 17. I'm talking yeah. 10 girls. For me, it was related to a couple of things. One is they want to please you so much. They're yes. eager to, they're very much attention to detail. They're very focused and on very linear thinking in some ways at that point. And then the other part was that they're afraid they don't want to be, you know, um, they want to be pointed out either for making a mistake or for doing anything right. They almost want to just blend in. They want to be part of the whole crowd. So is that, am I wrong with that judgment? Totally right. Totally right. The, uh, the, when you said you kind of danced around and stuff like that, it's funny because what happens is we have a lot of girls who, uh, are, who come to us to play competitively. Um, and we're strict, we're very strict with even our housely girls. You have to have your shirt tucked in, you have to have your hair tied back. If you're not listening to the coach, we will stop and stare at you and tell you, get your eyes on the coach. Like we're much stricter, whereas some dads, no offense, are like, oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. But I think we have the latitude to do that because we've been female athletes ourselves. And I'm telling you, I hear this all the time. How come you guys are so hard on them, right? And, and from dads especially. And they're like, well, when we coached them, we couldn't do that. And I, I don't know if it's because it's a dad thing and you're looking at them like your little girls. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what it is. But, yeah, it, that's a very common practice. Very common practice. Where, where you, you, you – it took me, like, a couple of years to know the girls and know their triggers, and I could be a little bit harder on them. Uh, yeah, totally. The other part was that – you know, in hockey especially, there's a disconnect between that dressing room camaraderie that you have. So yeah. I, I'm not in the dressing room. I'm only in there at the beginning. So I would, you know, I would do my pregame speech, let them do their thing, and then I'd be outside with their the, the mothers would be in taking care of the dressing room. So now I'm not I'm not there to get that feel of what the dressing room's like or what's going on as much. And 
Um, so it's a different experience. And that's why I always loved my second year and third year. I ended up having a female assistant coach, an associate coach made a huge difference for me. Right. Yeah. Cause she could do that. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people who coach listen to this podcast. So it's a, a great advice is to, you know, have a female with you on the bench if you are a, a dad coaching. And then yeah. the other reverse of it is that I've been advocating that on the guys hockey, we need to start having more women coaching with the guys because that's a different dynamic as well that women can offer on a, on a male bench um, for, for male boys as well, like for male hockey players. So what yeah, do you you're think? right about that. Yeah. You know, that's a, a, something that is lacking right now currently. And I've, I've seen benches that are very successful with that. And I think it ends up creating better human beings by having a female coach on a male team as well. I, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, I think they, I think different coaches voices, as long as they're coming from the right direction are good for, for them, because you know what, when they move on to more serious play, like university or post-secondary, you, you're going to take the coach you get. <laughs> and there's a lot of different coaching voices coming at you and you've got to be able to figure it out. So that's why we're, we're actually, honestly, uh, people come to us. Like we've had girls come to us who are very good players who started at another club and a parent has said that girl has got potential, bring them over to future girls because they know that we will deal with them in a way that it's not, uh, it's not being a bully. It's getting them ready for the real world, which is you got to be disciplined. You got to be focused. You've got to pay attention to what the coach is saying and you've got to believe in yourself. You know what I mean? And uh, it, it's, th it's those things that uh, make a difference for sure. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I, yeah. I love there. It's uh, I wish you'd set something up down our way. I think there'd be a lot of happy parents. So, but um, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, Randy. Well, that was a fascinating conversation, um, a really interesting model. Um, and uh, like I was saying, when I was, we were talking to Kim, it, it I, I can't imagine trying to pull that off in, in minor hockey now, although it might be good for the OMHA to get, have some competition, but, uh, well, there, such a strong organization. That, there is that model in hockey though. Like there are academies all over the place now, right? Like you have, um, and especially a lot of my West, like pursuit of excellence, which, uh, edge, um, okay. in Cornwall, it's OHA, OHA. Um, there's a few of those academies popping up. Um, the uh, Okanagan group has actually moved into Whitby and got a, a thing. So there, it, you are seeing it. Hill Academy is a great example of uh, a division of pro hockey Canada, uh, Lindsay Hofford's operation. So a lot of that stuff is there are pockets of this happening. Um, but yeah, to your point, I, you know, it is, you, you're, you're battling some of those, those kind of regulatory bodies in some ways, but it's interesting. Soccer is a little fragmented and there's been a lot of pushback. And the thing that I really appreciated what she was talking about was the whole thing of the multi-sport athletes. And even in hockey, I know that sometimes hockey takes up so much time that you find coaches that sort of poo-poo the kids that are trying to maintain some soccer or whatever at the same time. But she's right. It was always soccer that seemed to push you out before hockey did. Um, it's, it's a weird dynamic that happens inside that sport. That's really interesting. Yeah. Cause I think just generally you would think, well, hockey people are going to think they're number one and cause hockey's so yeah. big in Canada, but it's very interesting, but, uh, yeah, no, I, th I think that was a really interesting conversation. 
Yeah. So I don't want to keep it because the Leafs are on and uh, we're going to watch them, you know, possibly lose to the Habs tonight and make it interesting. But um, thank you so much for putting this together again. It was awesome. Talk to you next week. Take care. This has been another episode of the Total Sports Quinty Podcast. If you have suggestions for local athletes to be featured or local sports you'd like to hear about, drop us an email, boqtotalsports at gmail.com. And on the socials, we're at boqtotalsports. And of course, check out our website, boqtotalsportsmagazine.ca. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.